You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into your daily source for the Cincinnati Reds throughout the offseason. This is the Locked On Reds podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Carr. What's up, Reds fans? Welcome into the Locked On Reds podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today on today's show. I'm going to finish up my chat with James Rapine. If you missed part one, that was yesterday's episode. We talked about his new gig as he is returning to the Queen City to cover the Bengals. And we talk a little bit about the Reds maybe trying to get Francisco Lindor, but also the offseason that they've had. I'm going to continue the chat right there at that point. I'm also going to look at a couple of rumored plans to get the MLB season going and some thoughts on the 1999 Cincinnati Reds. So without further ado, let's get into it. Kind of like you said, it's it's something that Mo has said on his show quite a bit. It's not even just about going for it right now. It's going for it right now with the caveat of never not going for it in the future. Because, I mean, you're going to have years that are a little bit down, but you don't want those down years to be in the 60s. You want them to be in the 80s, at worst, 78, 79. So I, I, I'm with you there. I think uh, I think the Reds could definitely pay him. If they trade for him, honestly, I mean, and I, I agree because I've seen your takes too. I think the Indians could easily pay him, but for whatever reason, they're just not going to. But, uh, man, I, I'm just, I'm so excited with what I've seen from this team. Yeah, and and, and to your point, and, and here's, so when you're talking about sustainability, and this would be, if I'm the Reds, this is the argument against going all in and, and trading for Lindor. Hmm. The last thing you want to do is not be rewarded with a title. Right. right. Not not make it the run that you want to. And then you look at your minor league system and it isn't what you hoped it would be because you've traded all of these prospects. Right. Because let's say they go get let's say they traded for Lindor tomorrow and they can't because the league's frozen and it's just not going to happen. But let's say it happened anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. They would also add something else. There would be some kind of weakness since they're all in. They would want to add something else at the deadline. Whether it's bullpen, whether it's, you know, it, it, I don't think it would be starting pitching, but who the hell knows? Injuries happen, things like that. So they would want to add something else. So it would deplete the, the minor league system even more, which is fine. But that window, given who they signed and, and the, you know, Trevor Bauer's a free agent to be, Lindor only has a year of control after that. You got, uh, I'm trying to think of the contracts, but, you know, it's it's not like you couldn't see it falling apart and that sustainability goes out the window. So I, I guess the argument against a Lindor deal would be, okay, Hey, look, we're building something. We're trying to win in 2020, but we also want Senzel for the the long term. We also love that Hunter Green's working up in the farm system and can be a future star in our organization. And so if we can win 86 games this year, and it, it, you know, given if it was 162 game season, 86 games this year, we felt good about that. And we can start to turn things around that way without trying to go all in, win 93 and who knows, right? And and, and then Lindor walks or then but, – but so that's the argument, I guess, against a, a blockbuster deal like that for Lindor where you have to give up a ton to get him. 
And and the funny thing is, I don't. I I think there's some fans, and based on reactions on Twitter, people kind of get passionate, which is a good thing. It's nice that people are passionate about the Reds again, but people get passionate one way or the other whenever you make statements of, oh, well, they should have mortgaged and gone and got Francisco Lindor, or no, they shouldn't have mortgaged. The fact that they've put themselves in a position where both scenarios really make sense is just another credit to this front office. I mean, they've done the moves to sign the free agents to build a team where they didn't already have to get rid of what few prospects were left after they traded to get the pitching. And I'm just, I I don't know. I'm just, I'm getting really uh, worked up and happy and worked up in a good way um, about what's happened this off season. (laughs) But sure. um, No, I mean, you should be excited. I mean, this team has really in in two off seasons, right? In two off seasons, have built a roster. I mean, Castellanos, right? I mean, landing him in free agency, yeah. Akiyama, landing him in free agency. You got the young guys that we've talked about uh, some already. Um, whether it's a, a, how we did, we didn't talk about Aquino yet tonight, but we have uh, previously on the podcast we talked about Senzel. So those guys, you, you know, I, I mean, you look at this team. And I like Votto as a bounce back candidate, assume, again, assuming there's a season. Uh, Suarez now should be healthy whenever the season does come back. Moustakis, I like him now. I think that contract could look a little funny in a couple of years, but it's fine because he's going to be good now. And that's what you're trying to do. I mean, I, I really I, I like the roster. I like what they were trying to do. And then to your point again, you really didn't give up much. I mean, right. what, what did you what did you give up? I mean, you just you, you traded. Well, and then you, you traded a, a center field prospects that that you weren't in love with last year for yeah, Trevor yeah. Bauer, which I would do that time and time and time again. Mm-hmm. I mean, you feel really good uh, about where you're at. You got a really solid starting rotation, um, and and you you got position players that can hit behind them. So, I think uh, I think they're in a good spot. Uh, assuming God, I keep saying this, I hope I hope it just sounds silly in a couple of months. But <laughs> assuming there is a 2020 season, you got to feel good about where the Reds are. Yeah, there are. Yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff going on, like different reports, different rumors, and I want to get your take on a couple of those here in a minute. Plus, I want to talk about a favorite team of ours. It's kind of a mutual favorite team when you look back in Reds history. But before we get to all of that, so we we've been mentioning a couple of different times with the things that we've been talking about whether or not there will be a season. I don't want to get into you know whether you actually think. I'm not going to like you know say yes or, you know answer you a yes or no question about that. But there have been some rumored, uh, if you want to call them this, uh, plans to remedy this whole situation. There's there was one from. Guy up in Chicago has a sports talk show on the score, says that he knows a guy who knows some guys in Major League Baseball, saying that there's a plan in place to start on July 1st with a 100-game season that goes to October 15th. Then you have your postseason and a neutral site World Series in Los Angeles. Then Ken Rosenthal came out with a piece on The Athletic talking about doing a quarantine season in Arizona using all of the Cactus League stadiums as sites for games and things like that. And his article goes into the logistics of all of it. I, I, when you think about it, and and I'll give my take as well, but when you think about these different things, what makes the most sense to you? 
Well, see, I've, I've heard a lot about, you know, this and, and, and when sports can return and if fans can be back allowed back in. And obviously the president had a conference call with all the commissioners uh, over the weekend. And he said he hopes sports are back and, and thinks that the NFL season can start on time. And while I'm still optimistic that those things can happen, I, I think that, uh, that the main thing with this and a lot of people say, all right, well, we, until there's a vaccine, nothing can happen. And, and I disagree there, too. I think that that's um, it's going to be a while and you can't base it on if there's a vaccine or not. What what the problem is with this entire epidemic it isn't the the coronavirus itself. It's the unknown. Mm-hmm. Right. So the unknown. I don't know right now, as I'm talking to you, whether or not you have it or not. Because just because you don't feel sick doesn't mean anything, right? right? Just because you're young, old, it doesn't matter. You could have an awful cough and feel awful. And guess what? You still might not have it. And that's the problem is the unknown. We don't know who has it. We don't know who doesn't. And we don't have enough testing available to figure that out. That's the problem here is once tests become readily available, and I mean available like like a damn pregnancy test where you need to go <laughs> if, if, if you're feeling funny or you need to test then once you do that i think we not get back to normal but if assuming you flatten the curve i i think you from a sports standpoint you can really uh think about it because the you, you can test on the way in on the way out you know whatever you need to do like i'm talking about really available like taking your temperature available not mm-hmm. something that takes forever to do right just you're able to test and you have the results in five minutes and that's it um and so i think that's kind of the key to this whole thing is one obviously flattening the curve as they say two having tests available uh, for anybody in in, in these sports le- sports leagues you're going to need multiple per person even if you're doing this type of quarantine type thing, because if it's quarantine and, and one person gets it, then guess what? The whole damn team's going to get it or half the league's going to get it. So that's the problem is you need tests so readily available that they're almost disposable. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and so when that happens, um, I think that sports can potentially come back without fans. Um, so, so that's kind of my thought process as far as is baseball in general. It is a a non-contact sport for the most part, you know, for the most part. So I think that's good. Um, Half the time you're you're much farther than six feet away from any, you know, the catcher, but the catcher's got a bunch of uh, stuff on anyway. So I I think there's a way to do it, and I think it's possible. I just think it's probably going to be without fans, and and it'll be in late summer. And, And uh, what I would do and something I, I, I'm dead serious about this. And I know the traditionalists are going to roll over and lose their minds and say, get me the hell out of here. I would cut it to seven innings. Okay. Like if you're trying to fit a bunch of games in a tight window, right? It, 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 seven innings makes a ton of sense to me because yeah. you're probably not going to have as many off days. That two innings is a big part of it. And if they're going to do like seven inning doubleheaders anyway, which I know has been rumored and the commissioner talked about it a little bit on, on Scott Van Pelt's uh, sports center a couple of weeks ago, if that's the case, then just do it all the time and, and, and do And honestly, it doesn't need to be a hundred games either. I'm fine with 81. You know, I, it, it doesn't need to be this, uh, cause look, this is a, an unforeseen, unprecedented thing. Um, so I'd be fine with a, a half season 
where, where the trade deadline's literally midway through it and, and you figure it out and you go from there. But uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I do think, though, there's a, a chance baseball can return. But they, they all kind of it's going to be up to, to one of them to take that, you know, will it be the NBA? Will it be, will it be baseball? I think baseball has a, a better shot from a, um, a physical standpoint. You can make the argument that it would be harder to pass anything along, mm-hmm. but, but the bottom line is, is if I'm LeBron James or, or if I'm Mike Trout, it doesn't really matter if tests aren't readily available. Like again, fi- like a hundred on the sidelines, like where anyone can get one anytime then it's uh then it's pretty uh pretty tough for me to envision any professional sports coming back but i do think that that's attainable i think it's uh certainly possible they just need to perfect this test and make sure that it's um that it's right and more accurate than it is now based on what i've heard and uh and then you you can go from there so i think it's possible i think it's achievable it's just gonna gonna be a while i absolutely agree i mean the knowing is exactly what they need. It's not necessarily like, you know, the vaccine would be nice and stuff, but I, I, I saw something the other day said that they were trying to localize like the antibody for people who either are immune to it or are, you know, really resistant against it. Like if they get it, but they get the really mild form, why is that the case? And then once they figure out what that is, they're going to try and make a test to figure out who has that antibody and who is okay with that. And that just goes into the whole knowing thing. And, and I'm with you. Like, look, the, the whole idea of expecting to have normal at home, you know, at everybody's home stadium, normal season baseball that just happens to last a little bit longer as a way out the window at this point. And if a seven inning game is going to allow them to play a decent number of them, I'm fine with that too. Our mutual friend Lance McAllister kind of had this idea that maybe even tweak it a little bit more. And if for some reason they go into extra innings, turn it into a home run derby. Like get rid of this whole, you've got to play a million innings until you get a winner. Do kind of like, do kind of like what uh, soccer and hockey and all this stuff. It's like baseball's version of a shootout almost. It, it'd be a little bit weird to work out the logistics of that, but that way you save pitchers' arms a little bit. I don't know. Like It's stuff like that that's going to get us baseball. And if you're asking me, would I take a weird form of baseball over no baseball, the answer is yes, seven days out of seven. Yeah, I'm with you there. I, I do think, though, that's why the seven anything is makes so much sense because it's still baseball. It's a shortened game, mm-hmm. uh, an extra, you know, extra innings usually doesn't last six innings. You know, it's really not a, how many 15 inning games do you see? You don't see many. I don't think I covered one last year. I was at every Indians home game. Um, but, but the, the reality is that if you uh, limit it to seven innings, you're going to be able to save pitchers arms anyway. So I, I think mm-hmm. that kind of eliminates the gimmick to your point though. If it's it's that or nothing, I'll take that. But I, I just I think that you can you can do it without being too too gimmicky, without putting a runner on second, without changing mm. the way the game ends. No, you're just limiting the number of innings, which you can make the argument baseball should be seven innings anyway, just from a time standpoint and attention standpoint. I don't necessarily think that, but uh, I, I don't think seven innings would feel uh, any different. And, and if it would help players who, uh, I mean, they're gonna even if it's a 100 game season started July one, man, that's going to be tough because you're going to have to fit games in, you know, July, August, September, you're not going to have many off days. And so that, uh, 
that's something that you're going to have to do. And, uh, and, and hopefully they can, Jeff. I mean, this is, I, I get sports is just one small part of what's gone on into this, but to not have them is, uh, is really, really tough on, on, so uh, on, on so many people because one, yeah. it's, it's, it's such a distraction, right? Like if, for my entire life, sports has been a distraction when you go through rough times, good times, bad times, and we all go through it, right. But we, right. in our lives, you have sports and when you don't have it now, and uh, you can't leave your house and it, you know, the list goes on and maybe you have a relative that has like, it's just, it, it sucks. Like it's bad times right now. So hopefully this does not last for the remainder of the year. Um, and, and I know some have said, well, until they get a vaccine, it's going to, I don't believe that's the case. I, I don't mm -hmm. think sports are dependent on a vaccine. Um, but they, uh, they are going to look a little different. I, I don't think, uh, you know, 30,000 people are going to be rushing to Great American Ballpark if the Reds are playing there in a few months. It's only if they find 30,000 clones of me, and I really hope there's not that many out there. <laughs> <laughs> We'd but, be in real trouble if there was 30,000 oh, Jeffrey cars. Oh, my God. Far worse than COVID-19. Um, <laughs> but no, um, I, I, I'm with you. I mean, we're gonna, there's going to be a point where we look back on all of this and say it's the past, it's over. It's just right now... It, it sucks uh, not knowing it, but real quick, I want to jump out of uh, the what if talk. I want to talk about, and this is kind of a theme that I'll be going through this week, is looking back on awesome Reds teams of the past. Now, awesome, it kind of has a weird uh, description when it comes to sports nowadays. I don't think that if you'd have talked to a sports fan back in the, you know, the sixties or the seventies, they would have said that a criteria for an awesome sports season is the team won a championship. And maybe there's not that many people out there that feel this way, but I sort of get the idea from the crowd, from social media, all that stuff that if your team didn't win a championship, you almost really kind of forget that season on the whole. I tend to disagree with that, but I don't know what your thought is on that. But real uh, b before we jump into all that, too, I think we both share a mutual favorite season, which is 1999. Yeah, 99 was, I mean, easily my favorite red season. It, it was just, it was such a fun, fun time to be a Reds fan. I mean... They, they they didn't finish it and they, they end up losing the tiebreaker game to the Mets and I still hate Al Leiter with all yeah. my heart. Screw um, Al Leiter. Yeah. He's the worst. But like <laughs> you you look at that lineup and there were just so many times when um Sean Casey, I think he had twenty five home runs that year. And yes, I'm going off the top of my head, but I think I nailed it. You know, you you obviously have the Barry Larkin who's probably past his prime but still really, really good. We already mentioned Mike Cameron. Greg Vaughn was here for you know in Cincinnati for a year mm -hmm. and it was such a uh you know, he was a I think he had forty plus home runs. Uh Dimitri Young became a fan favorite. Eddie Tobinsky, Aaron Boone, Pokey Reese, who might have been I don't want to say my favorite player on that team, but I love Pokey Reese and I love what yes. he brought defensively, even though he wasn't a great hitter. And so it was, uh, it was fun. I mean, I remember, um, I'm trying to think, uh, the Reds, didn't they have a seven home run or a six or seven home run game as a team that year? Like there was just so many weird things like that, um, where they were just really, really good. And uh, and fun to watch, and they would outscore 
uh, teams and they would come back and, and Casey would hit walk off home runs. And it was just, it, it was a fun year and it sucked. It ended the way it did. Um, but it was, uh, it was so much fun in the, in the crazy part is Jeff about that. I couldn't really watch. We didn't have cable growing up and I had a fine shot. We just didn't, we didn't have cable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was one of those things where I literally, I remember I had a Panasonic boom box and I would listen, but it was black, all black, no remote. Uh, I would listen to, to 700 WLW and I would listen to uh, Marty and Joe. And, and that's how I consumed Reds baseball. And that was it. I, I listened to every game um, that way. And it was uh, it, it was a lot of fun, man. It was uh, it, it was one of the, the really good. Time. I would play video games. So I'm trying to think 99. I think I probably had a Nintendo 64 at the time mm-hmm. and uh, I would play video games and I would listen to the Reds. And that's uh, that's kind of what I did with my nights after I made sure I got my homework done because eight year old me had to get his homework done before five. <laughs> that was always my goal. So I could have the rest of the rest of the night to myself. That I, I looked it up. There was it was September 4th. They hit nine home runs as nine. they beat Philadelphia 22 to three. They had. <sighs> And they only had 19 hits, which is kind of funny. They had almost as many home runs as hits total, or, or as nine home runs as okay. non home runs. Yeah. And looking at the list of home runs, it's hilarious. There's Aaron Boone, Dimitri Young, Jeffrey Hammonds, Eddie Taubensey, Pokey had one, Brian Johnson, Mark Lewis. Like, <laughs> I mean, that was a game. And yeah, I'm with that's, you. that's wild. And, and by the way, I just looked at Greg Vaughn had 45 bombs that year. Wow. And you were right on about Sean Casey with 25. Oh, yeah. And that was Casey's best year. I see. I need to ask him. I, I haven't got the interview, Sean, but I, you know, I've been around when Sean was getting interviewed, but I, I wonder what happened after that year. Like right. it seemed like he put on a little bit of weight and he was trying to get even more powerful. And, and I wonder if that was the case or what it was, because that year he was just a hitter, man. Not that he wasn't after that, but that, I mean, I'm looking at the numbers now, 332 batting average, 99, uh, 99 RBI, um, 25 home runs. And then even without looking, I know those numbers tailed off, um, in the upcoming years, but yeah, he was, uh, he was great that year. I mean, that was such a good year. I, w- I really wish they would have gotten into the playoffs and, and, and wouldn't have struggled down the stretch there in the final, uh, final week of the year. Yeah. He went, let's see, he, he did go down in home run totals. The closest in 2004, he got to 24 home runs one away. But the rest of the time, it was, I mean, he only had 20 home runs or more. One more time, it was in 2000. And for the most part, it was, you know, 13, 14, uh, 6, 8, 9, different numbers like that. Just wasn't a home run hitter after that. I, I, think, I think you're right, too. I think he probably focused in a lot more on that. Yeah. But that's to my point, though. Like, that, that team, they didn't make the playoffs, but I will never forget that team. And I think it's weird mm-hmm. that people – attribute postseason to success and obviously i mean you know we've got probably the best team in baseball history in the big red machine as part of the reds history so the benchmark's pretty damn high but all in all i think that 1999 needs to be celebrated as being an awesome season absolutely does yeah it was again it was my favorite part of it was my age and i hadn't seen yeah, I was barely old enough to to remember any part of the '95 team, right? So, so '99, they were just they were really good and they were fun, and and, and that's such a an important part of it. Like for for example, let, let's tie it back into the Bengals, right? Because I cover them now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the '05 Bengals team is my favorite Bengals team. Oh yeah. 
but when I look back, I don't think they were necessarily more talented than the 2015 Bengals team. But if, you know, if the two played, I would still probably pick the old five team just because I like them better. And in my age, I was I was a teenager and that was the first time the Bengals had ever been good and ever went to the playoffs in my lifetime. So it was really, really exciting. And it was, it was such a fun ride and it ended awful. I mean, it was the worst. But that year was great. And, and now, I you know, even though they made it uh, five straight years, 11 through 15, none of those years were as fun as 05 for me. And right. it's just in 09 wasn't as fun as 05 for me. You know, if they go this year, it won't be as fun for me from a fan standpoint. Now, from a professional standpoint, I'd love to cover a, uh, a an NFL team that's in the playoffs. But it's uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where you, uh, you I think age has to do with it. And, and if it's the, you know, the first time you've seen a, a winner, stuff like that, and you think differently about that team. So it's the 99 Reds and the 2005 Bengals are those two for me. That's the way it goes, man. But hey, I I tell you what, I have taken up a lot of your time tonight, and I really appreciate you talking. Um, like we said, it's uh, allbangles.com. He's writing a bunch. He's got a bunch of Bengals stuff up there already, a lot of great stuff, content to check out for the Bengals. You probably already follow him on Twitter, but your Twitter handle is just at James Rapine, right? Yep, at James Rapine. Simple. At James Rapine and at, uh, at all Bengals. He is the man. He is James, and he is very welcome on this show the very next time we'll have him. (laughs) I appreciate that, man. Jeff, thanks for having me, and uh, I'm sure we will uh, talk soon, my man. Take care. That'll do it for the James Rapine two-part series episodes. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the chat there. Tomorrow, we'll be talking with Stephen Offenbaker. He will join us. We'll be looking at the 1995 Cincinnati Reds and also talking some other stuff. I want to pick his brain about the whole uh, draft idea that's come out, and we'll probably get into his favorite hashtag of hashtag Manfred hates baseball. But yeah, we'll get into all that there on tomorrow's episode. That's Stephen Offenbaker from the Reds alert podcast will be joining us from the big Island of Hawaii. Make sure though, that you don't miss it by subscribing on whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to. Also follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three F's and follow the show at Locked On Reds and save the Locked On Reds line number into your phone at 513-549-0159. Thanks so much for listening to the Locked On Reds podcast. My name is Jeff Carr, and I'll talk to you all tomorrow.